Empower Radio presents Out of the Fog. Join intuitive guide and spiritual teacher Karen Hager for lively, positive conversation with lightworkers, healers, and dynamic wisdom keepers. Get ready for inspiration and connection. This is Out of the Fog on Empower Radio. Here's your host, Karen Hager. Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for spiritual conversation and enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. Time and distance are no barrier to energy, and that means no matter when you're listening, no matter how you found us, you are here for a reason, and I hope that something in the next hour lights you up and helps you move forward. Now, we all know that spiritual practice is essential for deepening our awareness of that divine connection. But most of us are busy, we're distracted, we're in a funk, we're not paying attention. And so how can real people create a sustainable spiritual practice? Not perfect people, but real people like us. How can we come up with something that works for us and that we can sustain? Well, therapist, coach, and meditation teacher Jessica Improta is here today, and she believes that Connecting with inner peace, finding our Zen, begins with an understanding and acceptance of all that we are. She'll share some tools for living our best life and for reaching that inner peace that supports us throughout our journey. Are you ready to meet her? Jessica Improta is a licensed psychotherapist, lifestyle strategist, and founder of Ohm Lab, a virtual playground for accessible happiness. A coach and meditation teacher, she also provides psychotherapy to individuals struggling with trauma anxiety and depression, children in foster care, and sexual assault victims. You can find out more about Jessica and her work at theomlab.com. Jessica, welcome to Out of the Fog. Thanks, Karen. It's great to be here. I'm glad to have you here. I think let's start by why don't you share a little bit about how it is that you got to this place on your spiritual journey. Is this what you thought you'd be doing when you grew up? Well, not exactly. When I when I was really little, I thought I wanted to uh, be an ice cream seller, oh. <laughs> which, which it maybe isn't off the table, but uh, it's definitely a far cry from what I'm doing at this point, although I do eat plenty of ice cream. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I went to school, you know, my undergrad, everything was really geared towards becoming a medical doctor. From the time I was very little, I grew up in a, in a medical household. My father's a physician and my mom's a nurse. And so I was really around the helping profession since I was small. And so that really seemed to be my trajectory for a long time. Um, but, you know, things happen and you, you start to learn your strengths and see where those strengths are pointing you to um, at a certain point. And um, along the way, I made a shift. You know, I, I realized that I definitely was a helping profession sort of person but maybe in a different realm. Um, and so I shifted gears um, in my 20s um, after deciding not to pursue medical school and uh, got licensed to become a psychotherapist. Um, so that was a, ch- a shift and a change. And then in terms of the, the spiritual aspect of what I do, um, I was really not the person who was on that track, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, and It took a really big uh, moment in my life, which was my mom passing a few years ago to 
get on to my own spiritual path and connect to to that part of myself. Um, because up until that point, it was you know it was really all about um, science and and mindfulness as a scientific approach and uh, you know really uh, seeing things from that sort of analytical place. Um, so it's been a, a journey for me, and, and I can tell you a little bit more about that. Well, and I'm thinking as I listen to you, I, by the way, when I was growing up, I was going to be one of the DeFranco family singers. I'm dating myself, but this is a family uh, pop group from the early 1970s who had a TV show. And since I was just not a DeFranco anyway, I could never have been in the DeFranco family singers, but that's what I was going to be when I grew up. It didn't work out that way for me. Um, Amazing. And and although I do still know all the lyrics to Heartbeat is a Love Beat, which I think is the DeFranco family's uh, singers only one hit. Um, it just, it never came together for me. But I was thinking right. as I was listening to you that, that for so many of us, we get to a place on our journeys, whether it's the passing of someone who we love, whether it is a sudden event that makes us aware of our mortality or of the passing of the years. Oh my gosh, I'm 50 and what am I doing? What would you say as somebody who's a spiritual teacher and someone who works with people who are in change, what is the power of those kinds of moments and how can we maybe make them get the most out of them in a, in a good way? Well, you know, I, I follow Gary Vaynerchuk. If, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with him, but um, a lot of times people ask him, you know, what's the biggest, what's something that can motivate me to keep me going every day and, you know, really stay on track with my entrepreneurial ambitions and he always says, I've got three words for you. You're going to die. <laughs> and that sounds very grim. Um, but, you know, we, we go through life, most of us go through life, really with this underlying feeling that we're going to live forever. <laughs> and it usually takes something big in our lives, whether it's an accident or an illness or someone dying, for us to have this, this moment where we really are present to the fact that we're not going to live forever. And that there are things in our lives that are significantly out of our control. In fact, most things are out of our control. We like to think that we have so much control over everything happening in our lives, from our interactions to our futures to, you know, even what we're going to eat for dinner. And, you know, we may or may not. <laughs> so there's this, there's this false, false uh, assumption that everything is going to just be within our control. And so when these moments happen and you have the rug pulled out from underneath you, it really shifts the paradigm of how you see your life, I believe. And so, um, you know, it often takes those moments to, to have this realization and then to have to adjust. Um, and for many people, the way that they adjust to these moments is that they do step into the signif- to actually the insignificance of themselves in this larger picture and trying to make sense of what's happened. Um, and for me with my, with my mother's passing, you know, it was the first time in my life that something so significant had happened, um, and, you know, arguably traumatic. And I really had to try and make some sense out of it. Um, and there were lots of different ways that that came into being, but along with trying to make some sense out of it, it was also using that in my own life to, become more present to what I had to be grateful for and to connect to the fact that each day is, is precious because they're numbered. 
Um, and I, and that's, you know, what I see with a lot of people is that there is that big moment where they say, man, how can I, how can I really, uh, squeeze more life out of my life? And how can I deal with the demons that I have that we all have, you know, the shadows that we, that we possess and how can I understand and embrace all of those things and still have the life that, um, I meant to have, uh, until, you know, that day comes for me. Well, and how do we find that? balance between control on the spiritual journey? How do we find that balance between control, discipline, and consistency, and focus, and giving up control? Because I think we're asked not to just completely give up everything or completely control everything. That, for me, at least my spiritual journey in this life and probably in the next life, is around that finding that balance place. That, to me, is where meditation is so Mm -hmm. important, because for me, that balance is on the breath. But right. it's, it's about how do we find that, that place and then how as spiritual beings and physical beings, how do we respond when that balance is tipped, which of course it will be every 20 or 30 seconds. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is, right? It's, it's like a little triangle and we're sitting on a seesaw and you've got the future on one side and the past on the other and we're kind of balancing delicately right in the center. Um, I was listening to a spiritual a, a guru named Sadhguru, and he was um, talking about how the, uh, you know, we can create the future to the best of our ability, but then we can, the wise person also is able to let go of the past. And so, you know, finding that balance means that you do what you can in this moment to be aware of your thoughts and feelings and to see, you know, to find the truth with what's happening now. So, you know, a lot of times we're already in the future um, and we're in living from this place of anxiety. You know, we want to know how it turns out. We want to know what happens. And when we can catch ourselves in that moment and realize that jumping ahead isn't actually producing now, you know, we can take the breath. We can find our center and say, you know, what am I creating right now? What's my intention right now? How do I want to feel right now? What thoughts are getting in the way of creating this experience of my life right now? And setting the intention and creating from, from now may or may not produce the results that you want, but you can't control that, right? Like the outcome is not guaranteed. There's only what you're bringing to the present moment now. I'm curious about where you come down on law of attraction teaching, which I've heard some teachers and some students take to mean that if I do this thing in this certain way and I do it correctly... I will get a guaranteed result. Yeah, you know, I, I believe in setting intentions. I believe in living from the most truth that you can. And I think that, you know, from the therapy standpoint, a lot of times we think that we're living from a pure place, but there's really a lot of unconscious processes that are driving us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not even aware of them. And that's where, you know, deeper work comes in. You've got to peel the onion, peel the layers. Um, so a lot of people approach law of attraction from a very superficial place, like you're saying. If I do this, that will result in this. But that's, you know, it's, it's a manipulative um, come from, you know. It doesn't, it, if we all had that capacity, then, you know, we'd all be, you know, we'd put a vision board up and put a, throw a yacht on it, and you and I would be sitting in the middle <laughs> of the Mediterranean right now. Um, but, it, you know, it doesn't work like that. I, I think that the law of attraction requires understanding and peeling away the layers of who you are and understanding what's getting in the way of you having what you want 
and then also surrendering and opening to this, this, um, like making peace with the fact that we don't have control over everything. We can only create what we can from this moment. Um, I think once you get into trying to manipulate outcomes, that's where you cause this, there's, you know, this disappointment and people often when they work through the law of attraction, they're very disappointed. They feel like they're not doing it right. They feel like they're failing. And, and with much transformational work that often happens, you know, and it's because people enter into it trying to force an end result rather than creating who they are and their experience in the now and allowing life to unfold from that more truthful place. And not just that disappointment, at least as I've experienced from talking to people, but there's a shame mm-hmm. because there's a kind, there's a sometimes a, a facade put out there. Everyone else is doing it that way. I find this too in other things about teaching about daily spiritual practice, teaching about meditation, teaching about just trying to live mindfully while everyone else is doing 15 gratitude prayers while they brush their teeth. Everyone else meditated for 21 minutes today. Everybody would well, know probably they didn't. They're probably stumbling through the same as you with intention, doing the best they can in the moment. But we get that shame when we feel like we're not measuring up to whatever the desired outcome is. And that to me is part of what you were talking about in therapy. People come into the transformative process, but with a certain outcome in mind, it's we twist ourselves. We make it difficult, I think, for spirit to move through us when we're all twisted up like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we are, we are not, change does not happen in a straight upward linear line, you know, it does not go point A to point B. It's very jagged. You have, you know, one step forward, two steps back sometimes, sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back. And I mean, who are we even to say what a step forward and a step back is often in our lives, those moments where we feel like we've stepped backwards actually are the the moments where we learn the most um, and ultimately serve us in developing our character and developing our, um, our trust within ourselves. Um, and so, you know, the darkness, even if it's uncomfortable, even if we don't like those quote unquote negative emotions, often they're telling us something or there's something that we can learn from. So who are we to say this should or shouldn't be happening um, in the sense of our, of our spiritual journey? Um, but also to your point, especially in our age of social media, there's such a disservice that's happening because so much suffering and so much that I see with the people I work with is there's this constant comparison. And it's not just comparison of, of um, material things that people have. It's also like you're saying this idea that the, you are more evolved, right? right? And you think that you see other people and you see that, you know, oh, here's my Instagram photo of me meditating in the woods somewhere. <laughs> and you think, well, I have kids and I'm crazed in the morning. I don't have time to make my green juice and to do a 45 minute meditation. And it looks like this person's doing it so easily and they've got full makeup on while they're doing it. <laughs> and so you feel, you feel, you can start to feel really inadequate because what you're seeing in others, people's social media seems so bright and shiny and like, like you should be able to keep up with that. But I can tell you from my experience working with people that almost, uh, almost uniformly uh, people feel like they're, they're the ones feeling like they're not measuring up and yet their social media is showing that they've got it all together. So, Well, and a social media I think is a wonderful kind of example of what I think is a spiritual truth 
that what we show others says much more about ourselves always, right? So when I look at that picture of, I don't know, my friend in the woods in full makeup, meditating and levitating at the (laughs) same time and surrounded by groupies and her private plane is just pulled in to pick her up for a vacation in the islands, that tells me more about how that person wants to be perceived than it really does anything about anything real about them. Right. Yeah, and and each of us, you know, each of us has to, as part of our spiritual growth, spiritual development, personal development, has to understand who we are and stay in our own lane. And our own lane, not in comparison to the lane next to us, you know, this is not a race. It's saying, how can I stay on my path? And And it takes often putting blinders on, you know, it takes the work to to sit with yourself and to be able to meditate and be with yourself and find out what's going on within you. That's either propelling you forward or holding you back. Um, But that can be hard when you're looking next to you and feeling like you need to keep up (laughs) with somebody else. Well, and maybe part of that. um, So in my spiritual tradition, so I'm Christian, we're coming into the season of Advent, which is usually a Mm. time when we get quiet, when we let there be healthy darkness around us, right? A time of waiting for the light and honoring light in the darkness. Um, It's a great time for stepping away from social media or for, at least for your own part, only posting things that um, are genuine or are helpful and maybe that don't have any posturing in them Um, is a good, is kind of a Mm -hmm. good practice. So there are ways I think of using the, the seasons of the year, the times of the year. There are ways of using our own kind of emotional weather our own emotional seasons that we go through to also kind of regulate the kind of practices that we're doing. What is most needed now? If I'm getting triggered by social media, what is most needed now? And then allowing myself to step back. Okay. Stepping off social media for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then asking yourself what might be getting in the way of doing that. You know, what, what fear takes hold if you step away or tone it down or, you know, maybe even, quote unquote, bury your head in the sand about it for a minute. And especially with beyond social media, you know, with everything going on in the news, um, understanding how you can best take care of yourself. You know, like you said, what do I need? What's important to me in this moment? Um, Unrelated to what someone tells you, you should think is important to you. You know, it's really about tapping in to that voice within you that's saying, today I need X. You know, maybe it's to step away from social media. Maybe it's to be out in nature. Maybe it's to, um, to even, you know, take a break from exercising if your body needs nourishing or quiet um, or to increase or tap into gratitude practices that are going to support you. One of the reasons the season. That, <laughs> well, one of the reasons that people, at least when they will say to me, when I say, what is your daily spiritual practice? What are you doing? They'll say, I, I, I don't have time for that. I've got kids and I'm taking care of my parents and I've got, and there's the thing with the car and I go to work and I work 18 hours a day and I don't have time. I can't take that time for myself. And there sometimes is that underlying feeling that it is greedy or ugly or wrong to allow yourself to be fed in that way. Because to me, spiritual practice is nourishment is food, right? That it's greedy, it's wrong. You're, if you're pigging it up for everybody else, if you take that time. And so one of the things that I like to try to work with people on is that understanding that it is never, ever wrong to take what's yours. Never wrong to tap into that current of life and vibrance and information and all of that. Never wrong. And in fact, in doing that, 
you're opening it up so that you can then be a better daughter to your parents, be a better person at your work, be a better. But I think we get stuck on that greed sometimes. I can't possibly take all that time. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I like to use a couple metaphors when I teach workshops, but um, one that I like to use is that we get on the treadmill. Most of us are on a treadmill of life to some extent, you know, with our work and our families and our social, um, keeping up with social things. And so the treadmill's going and it's going and it's going. And, you know, maybe we're going at a pace that feels relatively comfortable, but then sometimes things speed up. And if you allow it, if you keep speeding up the pace, speeding up the pace, and you never take a sip of water, you never, you know, step off the treadmill for a moment to get your breath, at some point you're going to end up not being able to keep up with the treadmill and smack against the back wall Mm -hmm. because you're going to get thrown off it. And if you are able to understand that it doesn't have to be so massive, you don't have to take, remove yourself from the room where the treadmill is. You can simply nourish yourself and understand your body's signals and your mind's signals and reduce the speed or give you your body what it needs. And then you can almost go indefinitely, you know, it, 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 it fortifies you and it prevents you from burning out. Um, and so many people that come to me are burned out. They haven't been able to recognize and to acknowledge and to support, like you said, um, that they deserve and that they need this self-care so that they can continue on in a way that's going to support them and support the people around them. So you have to be selfish a little bit at some point or you're just going to get flung off the treadmill. Well, and it's the good kind of selfish. It's not the, here, give me that, that's mine. It's not taking it away from someone else. It's taking something that already belongs to you and is in you, whether or not you choose to uh, look at it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's important for someone to ask themselves, you know, why, why am I denying myself? You know, what, what is it that that denial is about? You know, what messages did I learn that said that I come last? Uh, because that's, that's not the truth. That's uh, a made-up conversation. And so when you can start to um, prioritize yourself and understand that, you know, putting oxygen mask on yourself is then going to support those around you, um, then, you know, you can take the steps to, to find that balance. And balance is, is sort of a myth in the sense that you can't do everything, you know, that you can't balance everything equally. There are things that you have to say no to in order to say yes to something else. But that's not a bad thing. That's just saying, you know, I matter in this equation too. I'm part of this equation. And that takes us back to that choice point. To When we get to that place where something happens, the passing of a loved one, the loss of a job, the realization of the big birthday, something that you see that strikes you or moves you, where you realize, wait a minute, I'm actually in this story. Has this been all been going on without my participation? How much of this has been directed by me or is right? How much of this is in line with what I feel is my purpose here on the path? And a lot of us get so far off track that we don't even know what the path is anymore. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're, we are on a treadmill and we wonder at some point if it's the treadmill that we want to be on. Um, But a lot of people, you know, I, I think just as humans, we often feel like we abdicate some sense of responsibility for what we can create in the moment, you know, and how powerful we are um, once we're able to get beneath those, those 
habitual habituated belief systems that we have about who we are and what's capable, what we're possible, what we're capable of, what's possible. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, I think we're kind of going back to the beginning of, you know, how do you create and have responsibility and feel like you're in control, but also surrender to the things that come up that you can't plan for. And, you know, I think that's the question that's been, been people have been asking for <laughs> thousands of years, you know, um, what's in our control, what's not. And I believe that we can create and we can do the work to be present and to know ourselves. And then beyond that, it's that, you know, when you give over and surrender to the fact that you don't have control of everything, that cre- that's where the freedom's created. That's where then you can create the story of your life that is going to support you. And that gives us the freedom to experiment in spiritual practice or in the ways that we express gratitude or pray or whatever it is. That gives us the freedom then to, to kind of feel into that question of what is right for me? What is the right balance for me? Not what someone told me or the way my friend is doing it on Facebook. What is it for me? And we can't get to that place until we stop and get quiet. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. But that is, that is probably the biggest challenge that people have in our very busy, hairy day-to-day lives. Um, And that is, that is what requires practice, you know, requires practice and it requires a deliberate commitment Mm -hmm. to being open to, to trying, you know, does. Well, you're listening to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager, and I'm talking with Jessica Improta. She is a meditation teacher. She's a coach. She's a therapist. You can find out more about her and her work at theomlab.com. When we come back with Jessica, I want to really dive into what are some of the specific ways that we can begin to build a a sustainable spiritual practice, even if we've never done anything like this before, even if we're busy, even if we don't think we have time. We'll be right back with Jessica after this. The Empower Meditation Channel. Non-stop meditation music 24 hours a day in the new Empower Radio app. Music to empower your meditation, help you relax, sleep, or provide a calm background while you work. The Empower Meditation Channel is interruption-free. Listen now with the Empower Radio app, free in the App Store, or listen online at empower.fm. Soothe your soul, calm your mind. The Empower Meditation Channel. Okay, Simon, what are you wearing right now? Nothing. That's right. And what do people normally wear? Clothes. Exactly. So now Mommy's going to teach you how to dress yourself. Clothes keep us warm, they look good, and if we go out without them, the neighbors will talk. So it's important to know how to get dressed. Here's how it's done. Underwear always comes first, name tag at the back, then pants, then shirt. Get the first button in the right hole or you have to start all over. If you're wearing a tie, it goes over, round, round, through, and pull tight. Tuck your shirt into your pants and zip up your flap. Socks going first, then shoes right on right, left on left. With shoelaces, just take the ends, cross them over, switch the loops. The rabbit goes down the hole, pull tight, and left with bunny ears. I love bunnies. Good to know. Now remember, spots don't go with stripes, socks don't go with sandals, and if you've tucked in your shirt, wear a belt. Got it? Why are your pants on your head? Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Miles, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. This is a guided meditation on parenting. Take this time to breathe deeply and close your eyes. 
Right now, you're completely in control. Unlike the time you and your son played basketball and you attempted to slam dunk. Or when you tried removing those raccoons from the basement. Concentrate on the soothing sound of my voice. Release the memory of when you wrestled with that beehive in your son's treehouse. Let go of the time you thought that skunk was a cat. Or when you pulled into the garage with your son's bike on top of the car. Deep breaths. Deep breaths. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who don't need perfection. They need you. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. So, you know, I'm a dog, and I'm kind of new to this family, but I've noticed a trend. My humans do this thing where they go around and get all my toys and hide them in this basket, but it's always the same basket, and it's always the same place, and then they act so surprised when I find them, but I'm like, hello, that's where you put it last time. Humans are the worst at hide-and-go-seek. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. And now back to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager on Empower Radio. EmpowerRadio.com. Welcome back to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager, and I'm talking with Jessica Improta. She is the founder of the Ohm Lab, and you can find out more information about Jessica and her work at theohmlab.com. That's T H E O M. LAB.com, theomlab.com. And of course, I invite you to visit KarenHager.com. That's a great place to find out what's coming up next on this program on Out of the Fog. And you can find out about scheduling sessions with me, classes and events. There's a big picture of me with makeup on. There's just all kinds of great stuff for you at KarenHager.com. And I welcome your feedback about the show. What is your greatest struggle, do you think? as you look at beginning a daily spiritual practice or continuing a practice that you've started? Have you gotten to a place in your own routine where maybe it all is just too routine? I love to hear your thoughts. I really do welcome your email. My email address is karen at karenhager.com. So Jessica, before the break, we were talking about how important it is to come back to that place of stillness, that place of balance to nourish yourself, slow the treadmill down and nourish yourself. When you begin to work with people who want to develop a meditation practice, what kind of excuses do they give you about why it can't be done, why it won't work for them, why it's just not going to happen? Well, there's, there's two that I hear the most. One you touched on before, which is I don't have the time. Um, and then the second one that I hear is I can't turn off my thoughts. Um, those are really common uh, complaints. And um, you know, there's, there's different answers for each of those things. So um, with regards to the time thing, um, for people who are convinced that that's the case, um, who are really arguing with me <laughs> that they really don't have the time for meditation, uh, we usually just start very slowly. So uh, most of us have the time to uh, take five deep breaths or to breathe for a minute um, or to even set a timer at some point in the day where we can just pause and feel the ground underneath our feet and look around us and really get present to where we are, to what we're experiencing in our environment, you know, that's touching our senses. So we all have that capacity. Most of us spend a healthy amount of time on social media or staring off into space. 
face mm-hmm. or watching TV. And so there is time, you know, that's, that's not true. Um, but I think that often what comes behind that I don't have time conversation is that there is this, this fear that they're not going to be able to do it um, or that they're going to be really uncomfortable being alone in that silence. Um, and so that idea of I can't turn off my thoughts is, I think, usually what's kind of underlying it. Um, there's an anxiety about, <laughs> about slowing things down and quieting because we're very used to filling our time with um, lots of distractions. And that's everything from, uh, you know, work to family to, you know, in more maladaptive ways, drugs and alcohol and, you know, shopping and whatever we can to distract from what's going on inside. And so I try to help people um, just slowly get comfortable with being with themselves and also to understand that meditation is not about turning off your thoughts. Um, That's a a misconception and it's not true because as humans, uh, if your thoughts are turned off, that's that's probably a sign that you're in a coma. (laughs) (laughs) That is not where we want to be. But what we learn in meditation is to tap into our thoughts and tap into the way that we think and what's present for us and to be aware and open to what's, what's there and what's present. Um, and so, you know, I really, with those, those two things, the, I don't have time and I can't turn on my thoughts. It's really about, you know, reorienting yourself to what is going to be in the meditation practice, you know, and then helping people process through that and understand and not be afraid of their thoughts because the thoughts are just impulses. You know, you sit there and you're quiet as you notice thoughts or you notice sensations, nothing is, is actually hurting you. Um, but it's often what people are afraid of. They're afraid that in some way being quiet is going to cause pain. And so, you know, that's one of the things that we try to work through. When someone is beginning to meditate, what, then is if the goal is not stop all your thoughts and levitate in full makeup in a forest surrounded by students. <laughs> That's if, my goal. <laughs> and I can totally Someday. levitate. It's just that no one's ever seen me because um, I'm right. so humble. I don't have the camera, but I can, I'm levitating now as a matter of fact. Wow. Um, isn't that cool? Cause I am just that <laughs> yeah. spiritual. Um, but so when we're, when we're beginning meditation, then what is the goal? I think sometimes just with people who I work with that, that students are afraid they're supposed to immediately have some kind of breakthrough experience of mm-hmm. lifelong lasting peace. And mm-hmm. what, so, but what is the goal? Um, for me, I think the initial goal is just the practice of pausing. It's just the practice of putting down a tuning fork, right? So we're kind of walking around with the stressed out anxiety vibration and it's, it's grounding ourselves um, and it's pausing. In that pause, as we get better at it, that's where there's access to actually make shifts and changes. But we can't start to do that until we can see what's actually there. And so when people are starting, you know, let's say that you're sitting down to meditate for five minutes. And let's not even call it meditation. Let's just call it your breathing for five minutes. And you're focusing on your breath and you're seeing and you're saying, wow, like my mind just went nuts. And I don't... Like, this is what I've been trying to avoid because there's so much chaos there. And so in those first few moments or those, those, let's say those first five minutes of trying to meditate, when you notice that that's there, then you can start to say, okay, this is my mind going nuts. This is how it shows up in my life. You know, I feel, I feel very frayed and frazzled. I feel like I can't keep up. 
and there's this this buzzing and this vibration that feels uncomfortable to me, but now I really see it. So what I can then do is I can start to practice. So through the breathing, I would breathe, take the deep breath, follow my breath, which is a very simple way to access the beginnings of meditation. And as I notice that the thoughts start to go crazy, I can just very simply redirect myself back to the breath. And so, I mean, it sounds simple, <laughs> simple but not easy. Um, but when I notice, I can then come back to the breath. And what we're practicing in this moment is we're practicing, A, attention. So we're bringing ourselves back. But we're also practicing that mindfulness of being aware that this is happening. Because we're so, we just go through our lives. In a, we're almost asleep. You know, we, we get up, we do our thing, we go through. We have our ways of relating to our families and our kids and our bosses. And we're not even really present to why we're reacting the way that we do. We just respond, react, react, react. And so when you can start to sit and start to A, pay attention and B, notice that your mind's going down these roads, notice that you're feeling super stressed out, notice that you're being really hard on yourself when you notice that your mind is going and coming back to the breath saying, oh man, I screwed up again. As you can start to notice these conversations and it can take, you know, just a few minutes in the beginning of day of just being aware of what's happening internally, that's when you can begin to actually make shifts. You know, it's that, it's that um, Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, says between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space is where you can actually respond. And so that's what we're doing in the beginnings of mindfulness and meditation is we're creating that space in our minds. And at first, it can actually feel worse <laughs> than, when, than, than not doing it. Um, it's sort of like exercise, right? Like when you first go out and exercise, you're like, man, my body hurts. I feel out of shape. It's, I'm sore. I don't like this. Um, but as you start to do it more and more, you're, you train your mind, you train the, the muscles of your mind that you do have the capacity to bring yourself back to the present moment. It is possible. And so for people just starting, it may not feel like that. And that's okay. You know, that's Okay. But we don't have to resist that. We can be with the discomfort. We can notice that it's there and we can play with it. It's a practice. You know, this isn't about getting to an end point. It's an actual evolution. So for people who are just getting started, I really try very hard to work with them on being kind to themselves, on taking it slow, on not trying to jump into, you know, you don't have to sit for an hour twice a day to get the benefits of meditation. If you can just hit the timeout button, slow down start to breathe, start to see what's there for you. That's really the jumping off point to a much larger meditation and by extension, spiritual practice. Can you say you were talking about following the breath? Can you say more about what that means? How do we follow the breath? So uh, it varies from person to person. And I think depending on what your sensory preferences are. Um, but if you close your eyes and you breathe, and we do this naturally, hopefully. <laughs> You're breathing all day, every day. But when you close your eyes and you start to breathe, the first thing I usually ask people to do is just see where you notice the breath. And that might be at the tip of your nose. As you breathe in, you might notice the coolness. You might notice that there's a rise and fall of your chest. You might notice that your tummy expands. You might notice that your body seems to kind of rise up on the inhale and uh, depressed on the exhale, you might notice that it feels constricted. 
And so when you first start to notice the breath, when you're following it, you just, I like to have people see what's there. Where do you notice it first? Maybe you're noticing the sound of it, you know, slight hiss as it enters your nostrils, leaves your nostrils. And so for me, I tend to be very visual. I'm just a, in general, a more visual person. And so when I breathe, I find it helpful to kind of visualize the breath moving into my nose, up through my nasal passage and like down into my lungs. And then I visualize it reversing and going back out. Um, for some people, the tactile sensations of really feeling it through the nostrils. And as you breathe, you know, you're, you're paying attention to what you're noticing sensation wise. So you breathe in, maybe it's cool. You breathe out, maybe it's a bit warmer. So following the breath is basically in whatever representation it feels feels connected to you to just observe it, to stay with the breath. Um, and what happens <laughs> when you're not with the breath is suddenly you're going off in the tangent in your mind of, am I doing this right? What's happening? And now you've lost being connected to the breath. So um, I think that for most people, the best place is either the sensation, the, the feeling of it, or giving it some sort of visual representation and just following it on the inhale there's a pause and then you exhale, there's a pause and just tracing it as it goes. And there's a, at least for me, a gentle return to the breath. There's a way in which uh, I think people sit down to meditate and they're like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it this time. I'm really going to do it. I'm going to meditate like crazy. Here I go. Focus on the <laughs> breath, tip of the nose. I'm going in. And when yep. you do it that way, it makes it really hard to have that kind of the, to me, what it feels like is like a lifting up and away from my thoughts so that mm -hmm. I can see them and go, oh, isn't that interesting? Would you look what's going on down there? And then just with that gentlest of impulses, return to the breath. So there's a gentleness in here, a compassion, Absolutely. which I think yep. people are afraid of the old kind of meditation teacher where they go around and hitch over the back with a stick, you know, <laughs> if you're not doing right. That's not what we're talking about here. Right. And, and, you know, when you're breathing, and this is why I like to just start with breathing without even giving too much direction. If I sit down with someone and say, okay, close your eyes, sit up straight, and just start breathing in through your nose, out through your nose. And then they breathe. And the minute I say, you know, the minute you tell someone, okay, uh, come back to your breath, don't think about, like, don't pay attention to the thoughts, that's when all the thoughts start to come, right? And so it's actually the opposite. And this is something that we learn in meditation that what we resist often persists, right? Mm -hmm. So if we can open to what's there and say, okay, you know, you're just breathing. Thoughts are there. It's okay. You know, just, it's okay. Just be with what's there for you in this moment. And as you gently as you can, like you're saying, come back to the breath when you notice. And there will be moments where, you know, you may be so far away from the breath, you're like in another, you know, state. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's okay. That's, normal that is human and it's that moment of recognizing that moment of mindfulness that is the access and you can then come back and say okay i'm back i'm breathing again and you know it does not have to be it shouldn't be strong-armed it does not have to be this muscling of it you know it's just a simple being and for some people you know that arises in different ways that arises in different ways for for some people than others um but you're absolutely right it's not this is not beating anyone into submission. This is just a simple being. It's just being. Being with permission and with compassion. 
and mm-hmm. with space. And there, right there, there's our manic, magic manifest. I hope not manic. Our magic manifestation <laughs> piece. There's the magic intuitive piece. There's the magic healing piece. The transformative place is in that awareness, the seeing and being seen. I am the breath. I am the one who breathes, and I am the one being breathed. Right, that right there, that that's the sweet spot, at least for me. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that for me what a what a key component of all of this was was being able to give myself a break. Um, you know, I think one of the things I see the most with people is that they're so hard on themselves of trying to, to twist life into how they think it's supposed to be and how they're supposed to be and what's expected of them. And in meditation as a metaphor for life, when you can really find that gentleness with yourself, find that compassion, and there are meditations that we do simply based around compassion with yourself, you know, being kind to yourself, being with what is, um, it really frees you up, you know, when you realize that you are, you have that shared humanity with other people that we all struggle, you know, and you're going to struggle and meditation does not, it's not a, it doesn't, fix all your problems necessarily, but it helps you relate to them in a different way. And so you, over time, as you dive into a meditation practice, you may find that the circumstances of your life haven't changed, but the way you relate to them has. And that is what we start to notice in meditation too, is that in the beginning, where you may be really hard on yourself and you may be really punitive with yourself um, as you're trying to meditate, that over time, there's a little bit more space and a little bit more relaxation and openness and, and peace with yourself as you realize that, that that punishment is not necessary and um, it's not helpful. And so, you know, that's what, that's what arises naturally out of sitting and breathing and noticing where you're being super hard on yourself and noticing where you lack that kindness and compassion with yourself. Um, and when you find those moments of stillness and just being with who you are in this moment, it it feels really good. And I think that's why meditation now is starting to gain some momentum in our society because as people see the evidence behind it, um, both in, you know, in the literature and then personally, they want to do it more. And then that extends to how you're relating to your family and your job. And ultimately, you know, I think as we all become connected in that way, that gives some hope for humanity as well, right? Well, and as we're, as you and I are recording this conversation, we're in the ramp up to the holidays, the two months of festivities, maybe in quotation marks, that for some of us can be triggers to old habits, old patterns. It may not be enjoyable for us, might bring us back into addictive behaviors or addictive ways of thinking and being in the world. It can be a time that is decidedly unspiritual, which is why I'm a big fan of Advent, by the way, getting quiet, going within, looking for the light, right? As we move into this holiday time, I wonder if you could share some tools with the listeners for bringing themselves back to center in the moment when your mother-in-law is saying that she never liked you in that color of dress or the gift that you got is clearly not received with joy or that you forgot to do. Is there a way you can help bring us back to center just in a second? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it always comes back to the breath. You know, it comes back to, I think, a few things. It's breath. Um, which is really creating the space for the pausing, and I'll talk about that in a moment. Um, it is uh, 
<laughs> the pausing can also come with creating a distance, right? So removing yourself and taking a walk, reconnecting to yourself. Um, and those two things can, can make a huge difference. Um, it's funny, there, there's that old quote that uh, if you think you're spiritual, go see your family. <laughs> and that, you know, that comes up every, you know, whenever I go home, the first thing I always do is go look in my parents' food cabinet. I don't know why. <laughs> Just like I get home, I want to see what snacks there are. Um, and, you know, it's, it's funny to me, but I know that there are much more intense conflicts and things that arise among families as well. So when those things come up, you know, and this is the importance of having the practice, starting to develop a practice before you're in those situations. But if you can come back to the breath, so let's say that your gift is not received well, or, you know, someone puts it down or is like, you know, doesn't give you the thanks that you're expecting. So there's going to be a lot of thoughts that start kicking in, that chaos starts to happen inside your mind um, that makes you want to react. And so the pause is going to give you the space to then create a more helpful response, right? So quickest and easiest thing I would say is take five really measured, even deep breaths. There's a type of breath called coherent breathing, which is an equal inhale and exhale. Um, So it's typically six seconds inhale, six seconds exhale through the nose. And what that does is it balances the nervous system. So you're, you get activated really quickly and that fight or flight, that trigger comes to you and you want to react. If you can just slow it down and calm the nervous system, activate that parasympathetic response, which brings you back to the present moment, there's going to be a little bit more room for you to decide what's going to be helpful in this moment. Because probably yelling and starting a fight and running out of the room or crying is not going to be something that's helpful for you or or anybody around you. So if you can find that capacity to have a measured response, it can start with the breath and that will give you some some room to do that. I'm also really a big fan of just taking some space. (laughs) So a lot of times people feel like they can't do that, but it comes back to being able to see what's going to be useful for you and putting yourself first and caring for yourself. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I need to take a little walk here. I need to look around, see that, you know, see my place in nature or earth or connect to spirit or whatever it is, and then come back into the situation when I feel like I'm more equipped to deal with it. Um, Because, you know, it's, it's not, it can feel cathartic in the moment to lash out or to have some big emotional response, um, but it's not always actually serving you. And so if you can give yourself the space through the breath or through taking a few minutes to yourself, I think that can be really helpful. And one of the, at least for me over the years, one of the gifts of that daily practice is that as I show compassion to myself, watching my thoughts return to the breath, don't beat myself up, that I'm not doing it right. As I show compassion to myself, I can then have infinitely more ability to be compassionate in the world. And so while I certainly don't have a 100% track record on that, it does give me more space in those difficult situations. Right now, because people are so divided around political issues and what's going on in the world, these holiday gatherings have an extra tension around them. How can I be amongst people who I may agree with, disagree with, or who may disagree with each other and still be compassionate? And sometimes having that spiritual practice underpinning the way you are allows you to be compassionate in those triggering situations. 
Yeah, and I would recommend that if your listeners have a chance, they can just go to YouTube or Google Love and Kindness Meditation. Um, it's such a helpful practice to tap into our own natural ability, ability for compassion um, because really all, all of us, you know, regardless of what side of the political fence you're on, for the most part, we all want the same things. You know, we want to be happy. We want to have a sense of peace. We want to feel seen and heard, and we want to have connections to our family and our friends. And it may not always seem that way, you know, with your great aunt, Lila, you know, who's, who's picking at you. Um, but there is, we have this ability ourselves to really transform relationships without even permission from the other person. And that can come from, like you're saying, being able to uh, cultivate this natural compassion and empathy for what someone else may be going through. Um, and it, you know, for some people, it's like, well, why do I always have to be the bigger person? I think that it's more of a modeling, you know, it's not being the bigger person and saying, is this serving my own life to be reactive all the time or to, um, to stay in this constant state of tension? Is this helpful for me? And when you see uh, for yourself what's possible, that often can shift how other people relate to you and relate to the situations. So, and, you know, a lot of that can arise from different meditation um, practices. For listeners who'd like to find out more about your work, you do one-on-one coaching and teaching. You having a zero to Zen unchallenge going on. Can you let the listeners know how they can connect with you and what you offer? Sure. So um, I do uh, coaching and therapy, and I have a program called the Zero to Zen Unchallenge, which is 28 days of emails with meditations and other consciousness-building daily challenges. Um, or unchallenged, <laughs> just to really help you connect to, uh, to presence in your daily life. Um, but they can go to theomlab.com, and, or they can always shoot me an email at jessica at theomlab.com. I'm happy to answer any questions. Um, and, you know, it's really, as I work with people, we, we design how we work together. You know, it's one-on-one, whether it's a mix of meditation or coaching, whatever someone needs in the moment to support them forward in their life, um, connecting to... Uh, they're present and also supporting them through whatever challenges that they're, they're having. So I love to connect with people. Shoot me an email. Always happy to answer questions. And I know we're right up against the end of the program. What would you most like the listeners to, to take away from this conversation? If they're sitting there going, yeah, I don't know. It sounds interesting, but I'm still pretty busy and I got a lot of stuff to do. What would you like them to know? Um, I would just challenge them. I would I would challenge them to take two minutes today to just press the pause button and take some breaths and to just see what the experience is of hitting pause on your day, of slowing things down and just being with yourself, see what arises in that moment. And I would just encourage people to understand that these are normal thoughts about beginning a practice and these are normal thoughts about beginning a spiritual practice, but but you can embrace that piece of you, that human side, and you can find this presence. You can shift yourself even while embracing everything that's here in the present moment. So embrace the humanity, take the steps to transform and shift yourself from within, and just be gentle with yourself. Jessica, thank you so much for being on the show. 
You're so welcome. Thanks for having me, Karen. It was great. Oh, you're very welcome. That is Jessica Improta. She is the founder of the OM Lab. She's a therapist and meditation teacher and coach. Find out more about Jessica and her work at theomlab.com. You can also email her directly, jessica at theomlab.com. And of course, karenhager.com is where you find out about classes, events, all kinds of great stuff coming up. And if you believe, as I do, that when we put our intention together, that we can make change, that when we come together from no matter what side of no matter what issue that we're on, and we focus on peace, on light, on hope, that something shifts, that we are changed, as well as circumstances changing, I invite you to check out openpeacefulheart.com to get information about the free monthly guided meditation that we run with people all over the world coming together to hold that space for peace. That's at openpeacefulheart.com. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world, and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace. Peace.